the donut guy. Doesn't remind us of anybody, does he? Not in the least. I want to um, I want to share a message with you this morning that um, I trust will cause you to never look at an offering envelope the same ever again. There's one of three ways you'll probably leave the sermon this morning. I want to warn you: you'll either leave in a rage, or you'll leave repentant. Or you'll leave rejoicing. I'm hoping that there are two out of the three that are the possibilities. I want you to turn to your Bibles this morning to Genesis 4. A a story that's pretty familiar to you, I'm sure. Because it's at the front of the book. And most of us have, at one time in our lives, said, You know what, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. So we at least got to Genesis chapter 4, I'm sure. So I know you've probably read it. And you may have read it several times over, but there are some important insights here that um, I've entitled, Don't Cheap Out on God. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the word of the Lord. The context, of course, of the story is a worship service. It's Sunday morning, two guys in church. Now, there are many ways that we can hide the truth about ourselves. But you can't hide in worship. God's light always exposes hidden darkness. Have you noticed that? So, let me ask you this morning, what does worship time tell about you? Because your worship on the outside reveals your person on the inside. Worship exposes the truth about you. Now, this story, of course, narrows the range of worship to the act of giving. There's more to worship than just giving. But this narrows the... The act to the act of giving. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to answer this question. In your giving, what story are you you writing about your own heart? As I said, the situation is two men. Both give an offering to the Lord. One is favored and the other is not favored. And the question I'm sure that we have is why? Why was one favored and one not? How can I know... In translating to my own life, therefore, how can I know that 
That my gift, my offering to the Lord is favored by him. More importantly, how can I know that, that I am favored by the Lord? To uncover the real issue here, I think it's important for us to, to um, spend a fair bit of time together answering the question, what is the big deal about offerings anyway? I'm not sure whether anybody's ever taken the time to really walk you through the reality and the theology of offering and what it really is. And, and so I want to take the time to do that with you this morning to try and give you a, an insight into offering that perhaps you've never thought before. What is the relationship between a holy God who needs nothing and the requirement in his word over and over again of a sacrifice and offering? What, what makes this And why does he make such a huge issue of this, such a big deal? Why does he want an offering, God want an offering? Well, let's think about this for a few moments. God is a holy, perfect, sinless, amazing God. I mean, we could go on with um, great words to try and discuss and describe our amazing God. But he is unable to have anything to do, because of who he is in his nature and his characteristics, he is unable to have anything to do with anyone or anything that functions outside of his sinless perfection. Or it would change him. It would taint him. It would taint his quality. That's why God is described in the scriptures as a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, God is described as a consuming fire. That's why the New Testament writer in Hebrews picked up on that Old Testament uh, reference and description of God and said, that is why we need to worship him acceptably, because our God is a consuming fire. What did he mean by that? What do the writers mean by that? He is good, but he is not safe. He's not to be trifled with. Man, on the other hand, is imperfect, sinful, rebellious. I mean, just think back on this week. We're precarious in our situation, appointed to God's disfavor. Appointed, by the way, to be wiped out by the consequences of his holiness, his perfection, the consuming fire God. But God, as we know, is gracious and kind and merciful and compassionate and desires that that rather than destroy the sinful, that he would save us. And bring us into a relationship with him. He longs to forgive us. It says in the word of God, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. So this perfect, holy, sinless, awesome, powerful, consuming fire God. Over against the sinful, rebellious, imperfect mankind offers to us his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his compassion in Jesus Christ that we could have a relationship with him. Rather than destroy us, he wants to save us. 
And so he's established a way whereby humans can acknowledge his perfection and acknowledge our own imperfection and sinfulness and receive his grace, receive his salvation through Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him and demonstrate that we have received that grace by our gratitude, by our offering of our lives to him in service, to him as Lord, by giving to him tokens of our gratitude called offerings, by our actions, demonstrate that we understand he is a perfect, sinless, awesome God who does not have to bring me into a relationship with himself, but chooses to because he's a gracious God. Now that's an awesome thing. And so you have these first two men, the first two sons of of Adam, uh, ancient men before Christ. And it would be no different in terms of their self-reflection than it is us. To recognize that they are sinful and rebellious and undeserving and unimaginably grateful that a holy, awesome God would in fact welcome them into a relationship with himself. And so in their gratitude, it would only be appropriate for them to to, to offer to him a token of their love, an offering, a symbol of their repentant hearts, a costly gift to show their love and how much God was worth to them. Now that's from their perspective. Now from God's perspective... This gift, this sacrifice, these offerings that they were giving to him were a picture of God's future plan to give his one and only son as a most awesome gift for our salvation. In fact, the New Testament writer calls it the indescribable gift. So that's from God's perspective. That was what the picture was of this This giving to him. It was of this ultimate gift that he intended to give. Now get this. The gift that they were giving, this sacrifice, was a symbolic substitute. A symbolic payment to avert the wrath of God. The consuming fire God. Toward their sinfulness. This act, although they didn't fully understand all of what they were doing, was in fact looking ahead to the coming of the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, who would be God the Father's substitute to take our place for our sinfulness. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24... It says there that fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. 
and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Now, do you know why they shouted for joy? Do you know why this was the most amazing moment for them? It's because when they brought that offering, it was a watershed moment in heaven whereby the consuming fire God would either receive their offering and consume it or consume them. Now you can imagine that when fire comes from heaven and burns the offering, there's great joy. I mean, there's a party. There's, this is great. God has received the offering substitute and has spared us even though we didn't deserve it. This was of great relief and joy. There was an urgency and a seriousness. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. But I want to make the case today for the fact that as you put that offering on the plate, it is no different. It is that watershed moment The theology of the substitute of God through Jesus Christ versus us. Further on in the scriptures, in Exodus 13, verse 12, 14, 15, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord in the days to come when your sons ask you, What does this mean? When the offering plate goes by you and your little kid is sitting beside you and says, Dad, what are we we doing? Why Why are we putting that in the offering plate? Here's what you say to your children. With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Son, daughter, this act of giving is a reminder every time of the salvation that we have received through Jesus Christ. Why am I giving this? Because it is a reminder of my salvation. It's an act of faith to give the first. You risk the possibility you might not get any more. I, um, I think everybody ought to have a stint as a commissioned salesperson. How many, how many people have ever had to live on straight commission? Not many. Well, I have. Straight commission is a different way to live. And it really challenges you in the whole area of faith. You know, first first fruits, you know, you have a great week and you make a great sale. And and then you got to say, am I going to siphon the first off the top of this and take it to church with me and give it to God? Because what if I have a really bad week next week? That's what first is all about, you know. It's trusting God to supply next week just like he did this week. More than that, 
the giving was this celebration and commemoration of redemption and salvation and the cost of it. It's what made the issue of Cain so tragic that the firstborn was to be redeemed, given over, offered to God. Cain was the firstborn. In fact, um, in, in Genesis 3, verse 15, we have what's called the Protevangelium, the, the first evidence of the fact that there is coming a gospel, a good news, that, that mankind is going to be rescued from sinfulness. In the whole Garden of Eden scenario where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. There'll be this battle between God and Satan and, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There will be a coming Messiah, a Redeemer, who will purchase mankind out of the slave market of sin and self. And, and there's this first glimpse of that. And then Eve bears this first son. And she says, I have received the one. She thought in her heart she had received the promised Messiah, the one who would redeem them. And instead, he murders his brother. All in the context of a worship service and offering. That God would someday give as a purchase price his very best. His own firstborn, one and only, Jesus, to make salvation the way possible. In Leviticus 3, verse 16, it says there that the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire, a pleasing aroma. And listen, all the fat is the Lord's. The fat portion evidently was a symbol of the best. I don't know about you, but I tend to trim the fat off. That's not really in our culture what we think is great, but they love the fat. The fat was like the choicest stuff. It was given to God. See, if I gave the fat to God, it'd be like I'd be giving him leftovers. It would be like, I don't, I don't want this anyway, so here, you have it. But for them, it was like, no, no, they were giving him the ribeye steak. And they were taking the stuff that was left over. So along comes the first recorded church service. That's Genesis chapter 4. Ceremonial expression of worship. These two guys acting on the weightiness of these truths now that I've just shared with you. The realities of what I've just said to you. That this offering has all of that weight attached to it. A holy God, great, gracious, loving, perfect, provider par excellence. Cain had been supplied fruit from the soil. Abel had been supplied flock. These two guys, sinful, check. Rebellious, check. Imperfect, check. Grateful, we don't know. Selfish, we don't know. Selfless, we don't really know. God-focused, we don't know. Resentful, we don't know. Sin-conscious, we don't know. Prideful, we don't know. But their offerings are going to say something very loud to us in answer to those questions of what God already knows is going on in their hearts. So let's... um, 
Let's check out Cain and his offering and see if it passes the divine sniff test, shall we? When you think about um, this giving to God, uh, I think the question that uh, should be surfaced is, how should we be feeling, how should we be thinking as the offering plate comes closer to our turn? Don't you think it would be appropriate for us to say, I I don't deserve the least of God's favor? We're thinking about it. I I mean, shouldn't we be thinking, I I should be wiped out, but but if I understand this correctly, God will accept my sincere worship and and consume the symbol of the substitute and not me. Is that what I'm supposed to understand? Yeah, wow. So, So what's the only way, the only appropriate way to respond? Now, by the way, I want to quickly say something. You can't buy favor with God. Your gifts merely express the favor you already feel or have. I want to make that really clear. I just simply want to ask the question, uh, do you think like this when you're planning your worship and giving during the week? I mean, are you thinking about the fact that you don't deserve the least of God's favor? The fact that that he he has looked upon you and he has looked upon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has, he has made his son the substitute for your sinfulness. Do you think about that? So what would we expect? Should we not be saying my offering is my best token of gratitude, understanding that God the Father took out his consuming fire wrath for my sin on Jesus instead of me? Shouldn't that be running through our mind, through our hearts? Is this the heart attitude of Cain that we discover here? What do you think? In light of all that we've just said now, in the course of time, Cain brought some. Is that how you would respond? I mean, think about it. This is about a grand and gracious, holy God of the universe. This is a... Think about consume me or consume it moment. This is a moment to think about the grace of God who would rather consume it and not consume me. This is about a God who who provides the sun and the rain and causes the seeds in Cain's field to germinate and produce fruit. And give him a bumper crop so he can eat and live. And would we say, yeah, I think some is appropriate. Would any of us? But Abel, it says in verse 4, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Fat portions and firstborns versus some. And now for the verdict. What do you think? Drum roll. You already know, don't you? Now, how do you know? Because we read the text. It says there that um, the Lord looked with favor on, note both, on Abel and his offering. But on Cain, 
and his offering, he did not look with favor. It says here that, that God blessed Abel and his offering. God turned full face toward Abel. But to Cain, he turned his back. Why? What made it different? In Hebrews 11, verse 4, we have an amazing insight from a New Testament writer into an Old Testament reality. It says there, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Why? Listen, by faith. He was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. He's speaking this morning. This sermon's about Abel. Abel's still proclaiming to you his faith. God spoke well of his offerings because his offerings spoke well of him. See, the offerings don't change your heart. Your heart changes your offerings. That's what this is all about. And the offerings didn't make him righteous. It says here that God commended him as righteous. He didn't declare him righteous by his offerings. He wasn't saved by his offering. He was commended because his offerings showed that his heart was righteous and was fully God's. His offerings were reflecting three times by faith that he was completely trusting God, completely dependent upon God, understood that he didn't deserve the least of God's favor, and was fully grateful for all that God had done for him, and was expressing it tangibly by his offering. Now, I know that some of you feel a little bit sorry for Cain because you're a compassionate and kind people. And you're saying, well, wait a second. Cain brought something. Isn't it a little bit harsh of God to just turn his back on him? I would feel that way too if his reaction to God's kindness to him were not rage. You always know when someone's in really bad space with God, when they are rebuked by God, they get enraged. You know it's bad space. And that's exactly what Cain does here. God, you know, this was a, do you remember what this was? This was a vaporization moment. Okay, this was consume Cain or consume his offering. This was a moment. And Cain is still breathing. And God graciously comes to him. And he says to him, Cain, why are you angry? <laughs> because it says here in, in verse 5, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. It seems to me that he was infuriated with God because somehow he had got the idea that, that, that what audacity, that God won't look favorably on my leftovers. I mean, what is wrong with God? I had some spare fruit kicking around. 
Okay, admittedly, it had a lot of blemishes on it, and I left it behind because it wasn't eligible for the fall fair. But, you know, I thought, why why not give that to God? What does he care? He's just going to burn it up anyway. You know, giving giving stuff to God, giving money to ministry, that's just a waste of my money anyway. So, So I'll just give God what I have left over. Do you remember what we talked about last Sunday? A wise farmer sets aside from his harvest seeds for sowing first so that he won't eat all his seeds. Hoping that he has leftovers after he has totally satisfied himself is risky and reckless. Beloved, if you are functioning on a leftover basis with God, a some basis with God, it will soon become none. Because it is not protected. It's random. It's unplanned. It's unintentional. And so that's why God goes to Cain and asks him, by his amazing grace, to reconsider his ways before it's too late. That's what God is saying to you today. See, Cain had turned worship into religion, ritual, and probably superstition. That's the way some people are. I got to give God something. Hopefully, piece, piece him off so maybe he'll, maybe he won't be angry with me. Or maybe I'll have good luck this week. Maybe I'll make a sale this week if I just give God something. Can I uh, wrap this up? Showing you four questions that God uses to address your gifts and undress your heart. After the worship service, he comes to Cain and he says, why are you angry? Cain stormed out of church that day. He, he was, uh, he was uh, saying, you know, if God's turned his back on me, I'm turning my back on God. I don't know who he thinks he is. But I'm out of here and I'm never coming back to that church again. I'm going to go find a church where they don't talk about this kind of stuff. So God says to him, why are you angry? Why are you acting like the divine God of glory has the unmitigated gall to graciously draw me into his life, a sinful, rebellious, self-centered person into a relationship with me that this God who does this would turn up his nose on my leftovers? Cain thought that God should be grateful that Cain would give him any attention at all. And from his perspective, he thought he deserved better. He asked him a second question. He asked him, where is your joy? Why is your face so downcast? See, when you aren't getting this right with God, joy goes out the window. You lose your strength. You feel weighed down and burdened. He asks him a third question. Where is your righteousness? Notice in verse 7, if you do what is right, will you you not be accepted? Cain, this, this offering is not the issue. It's your heart, Cain. 
This offering is merely a mirror reflection of the problem in your heart. Where's your righteousness? Let me ask you, have you found yourself lacking the will to do right? Is your life more often characterized as sin having victory rather than Christ? What about when the word of God rebukes you? Instead of repenting, do you fly into a rage? And then the fourth question. Where's your brother? It's always about our brother and our sister. That's what this giving thing is always all about. It's about our understanding of how great our God is and our care and concern and love for our brothers and sisters. And Cain showed everything when he said, why should I care about my brother? (laughs) Why should I care about my brother? He might as well have simply said, God, as far as I'm concerned, it's every man for himself. It's all about me, God. Why in the world would I ever give a second thought to the needs or concern of my brother? So if you're feeling just a little tiny bit sorry for Cain, lose it. Abel is setting too high a standard and I resent him. That church is setting too high a standard and I resent it. That pastor, no, we won't even talk about him. You know, when I look at this text, the difference wasn't fruit versus fat. It was about some leftovers versus a first place heart. That's what this is all about. When I read some, it says selfish to me. So as you're thinking about this text in your own life, in your own giving, maybe you're in trouble. Your passion is slipping. You're tying up your time and your talents, making them unavailable to God. You're consuming way beyond what you need. There's nothing left over even anymore. You're eating all your seeds rather than sowing for a righteousness harvest. It's not about Jesus anymore in your life. It's more about your comforts and your pleasures. You're wearing, warehousing more stuff than you can afford, and now you're swamped. I have really important and good news for you in the midst of all that tough news. There is a turn-back spiritual moment. There is a watershed moment with God. The same... God who came to Cain and said, Cain, come on. Turn it around, man. Is the same God who's coming to you today. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know where your situation is. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with God the Father yet. 
He, he's coming to you this morning saying, this is a watershed, watershed moment. I have given a substitute for you. His name is Jesus Christ. He went to the cross and died on Calvary that by believing in him, by confessing your sins, and by receiving him, you could have eternal life. You could have this change of heart. Maybe you've been just giving God leftovers in your life. Maybe you're a child of God, but you think he's okay with leftovers. And you know in your heart that you're not feeling right about it. And God is knocking on your heart this morning saying, man, there's a, there's a turnaround time right now. If you don't turn around, though, if you don't turn around, it's going to get worse. Because hearts never stand still. Cain didn't turn around. He went from not giving God with a right attitude to killing his brother. Is it about some of our heart or all of our heart? Are we stuck in sin and stuff and self or do we want to turn our lives over to Jesus Christ and be generous in our giving? That's the question that's set before you. Our Father, this morning as we consider these, this first worship time, which ended in a disaster because of the sinfulness of hearts, I pray, Lord, that we would allow serious business to be done in our own hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that where repentance is necessary, it will be done. And where rejoicing is appropriate, we will rejoice. Because you are a great and powerful and awesome, gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and close our our time together in prayer, shall we? as we bow our heads I want to make it really clear to you as as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed your offering isn't the substitute it never was Jesus Christ is and always was the substitute why I want to urge you to make such a big deal of your offering and your givings is because they are a symbolic reminder of a gift substitute on your behalf. His name was Jesus Christ. He died for you. That you could have your sins forgiven. That the consuming fire God would pour out his wrath on Jesus instead of you. Our offering time our planning of our offerings is our opportunity to really understand the nature of God's grace and our gratitude and a substitute for our salvation. And in understanding that, in knowing that we have that, to give to God from that heart, That's what this is all about. And so there is three ways that you can leave this morning. 
you can be confronted with God's truth and leave in a rage. And I hope you won't do that. Or you can leave rejoicing because that's exactly what you're doing in your life and you're giving to God. Or you can repent, change. No one's looking around, but I think it's always important to commit visibly to what God is insisting internally. And so if repentance is, you need a change, it doesn't, I'm not asking for details. It's between you and God. Why don't you slip up your hand and let me pray for you. Thank you. Father, these are your people. They love you. you your word speaks to them. The Holy Spirit moves their hearts. And now I pray, Lord, by your strength and power, and because you are so gracious to come to us and make a watershed moment happen, that you would enable them to follow through with what you're speaking to them about. I pray. For your great glory's sake, in Jesus' name, I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold or anything else this world affords. That's our message. And Lord, I pray that our giving would reflect that truth for Jesus' sake. Amen.